From Mendocino County Public Broadcasting, this is a podcast of KZYX's local coronavirus update for Monday, November 16th, 2020. With Ukiah ER doctor, Dr. Drew Colfax and Alicia Bales. Since the pandemic began, Dr. Colfax has done regular live updates for KZYX listeners on the latest news and numbers and answered questions from callers. Bad news on the street, bad news on my car, bad news on my feet, bad news out of the bar, all over my clothes, under my hat, on the radio, in the laundromat, hanging in the air, laying on the ground. And that's Lucinda Williams singing the blues, the bad news blues. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax. Welcome back, Drew. Thank you, Alicia. You've been on a marathon. I have been working since last Wednesday's show, pretty much nonstop. Oh. What's the news from the hospital? Uh, the theme of the day at the hospital, actually, has mostly been methamphetamines. Um, COVID has really been uh, controllable or containable um, from our hospital perspective. We've been maintaining you know, somewhere between five and seven people countywide um, hospitalized with COVID, but not, not a surge or not a huge crush of people coming through the department as of yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing, we're doing fairly well in terms of healthcare resources um, in this county still. But we have that other epidemic of drug addiction. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Well, that's just part of working the night shift, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, this is the local coronavirus update. And today, unfortunately, is a super big news day for COVID locally. You want to talk about the the big headline news for Mendocino County? Sure. So the big headline news for the county and really for the state is increasing numbers, things headed the wrong way, um, countywide and statewide. Obviously, we've been headed that way nationwide for um, several weeks now, but it finally is coming to California in a significant way. And we slid back to the purple tier as of today. Um, It's not yet reflected in the county's website, or it wasn't as of about 30 minutes ago, but the state of California moved uh, about 10 counties, I believe, uh, back into purple from red, um, which was um, a slow train coming, frankly. Um, And they did it because our numbers are going up uh, in the county um, and in the state um, in a way that, you know, just moved us back into that purple tier, which means um, most pertinently that I don't think schools are going to be reopening uh, before the end of the year. Um, I had... I had prepared to rail against that idea anyway, and I was pretty clear that I don't think didn't think that was a good idea um, as of last week. But I think now that that's going to just be set aside. Kind of a moot point. Yes, yes. we've been hand wringing and fretting all weekend about the the upcoming idea of opening Ukiah schools on uh, December seventh. Yes. Well, that would have been an unfortunate decision, I think, because the numbers were clearly trending in the wrong way, and they have in fact reached a point where we're back in purple. So, speaking of numbers, 65 new documented cases in the in the county since last Wednesday, bringing our total to 1,307. Um, testing has actually dropped to a suboptimal level. Last five days, we've averaged slightly more than 80 a day, which is uh, far under the 140 to 150 we need to be running a day. So that's problematic, um, and I think it 
significantly reflects uh, the absence of countywide testing facilities. I mean, if the only place you can get tested is in an ER and get an expensive ER bill or an OptumServe in Ukiah, you're just not going to get enough people tested. So that's a problem, and people need to fix that problem. This was the week that the uh, UCSF contract ended yes. with the clinics around the county so that they've been doing regular surveillance testing uh, with very well attended surveillance testing free throughout the county and that stopped. So do you think that's why our yes. numbers have dropped? Yes. I, I don't have any other explanation other than perhaps testing fatigue amongst the <laughs> amongst the people who need to be tested, uh, which is entirely understandable. But I, I think there is still a fair amount of demand for testing. Um, it's just hard to get right now well, unless you happen our, to our, have a car and can drive to the Redwood Fairgrounds. Right. And our positive test numbers have gone up. So that's interesting. Our positive test numbers have gone up. Our positive Positivity, um, the test positivity actually really hasn't changed much. So we're averaging about 11 a day, um, 11 new cases a day uh, with a seven-day delay. Mm -hmm. um, our test positivity is still about 3.8%, and it's been holding at about that rate uh, for for months, actually, uh, for a couple months. So that hasn't changed, but in the face of decreased testing, it becomes a less reliable number. Got it. So, and, and locally, or quasi-locally, Sonoma County has, you know, trended worse as well. Their positivity is about 50% higher than we are right now. They're averaging over 100 cases a day. California is now setting record number of new cases per day, um, 9,000 in the last 24 hours um, in the state of California. And that's the most we've had? I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's... Uh, an absolute record. There might have been a few days back in the end of July that had higher counts, but it is quite high, um, and the trend is increasing pretty Trending sharply. in the wrong direction, exactly. Um, and nationally, it's it's a complete disaster, uh, frankly. We've added another 5,000 deaths in the last five days. Um, you know, 70,000 people hospitalized, which is right up at the record numbers that we've seen. 70,000 people hospitalized with COVID in this country. Um, a lot of hospitals just overwhelmed. People having to be transferred far, far away. 81% um, increase in national test positivity. Uh, or number of cases over the last two weeks. Uh, that's our two-week trend. Did you say 81%? 81% two-week trend increase. It's almost like people are trying to get it at this point. I well, mean, how do you get that? How do you get 81% increase? Well, when you have... <sighs> when you have a lack of a coherent national uh, response to this, it just it incites risky behavior. Um, deaths are increasing, unfortunately, up over 40% over the last seven days. Uh, we've been seeing uh, death counts up 12, 1,300 over the last several days. It's a little lower today, but that reflects sort of the weekend dip that we see every, every week. Um, other news, uh, Moderna, uh, one of the big vaccine drug makers, um, released preliminary data, much like the Pfizer uh, data that came out last week. Um, same sort of vaccine. Uh, it's a messenger RNA vaccine, a uh, novel vaccine concept that's never actually been developed in a, in a vaccine and brought to trial. Uh, but their preliminary data that they released today shows about 95% efficacy at, at preventing uh, COVID, which is astonishingly high uh, degree of efficacy. Um, very very good news. 
The good thing about this vaccine is it has a more stable uh, structure, um, more stable sort of packaging, if you will, in the fat that contains the active component. Um, so it doesn't need to be kept as cold. It's less fragile. Oh, that's um, interesting. It is. It's, it's, it could be a vaccine that could be much more readily handled in rural areas, say. Um, so it, that's. I mean, does it still need to be kept cold, just not 80 degrees below zero Celsius? Correct. It, it still needs to be kept cold, but more like zero. Um, and so quite doable, um, can be kept in a ordinary freezer. Um, and 80 degrees is, 80 degrees below is, is an attainable temperature. That's dry ice temperature. Um, it's not liquid nitrogen temperature, but, uh, freezing is, you know, every hospital, every clinic has a freezer. So that would make it much easier to, um, distribute and administer. The bad news is Moderna has never brought a vaccine to deployment. So they don't have any experience uh, with producing and distributing millions of doses. So are, are they like a startup or something? Yeah, they're a startup. They are yeah. literally a startup. Literally. Oh, yeah. Exciting. Well, they got about $2 billion from the US government. So they're not exactly small potatoes, but they are not they're not Pfizer. Um, and so whether they're able to bring this vaccine to market anytime soon, I, I'm doubtful. I don't think we'll actually see this deployed um, and distributed until late spring, early summer. Because they have to sort of figure out their supply chain and their production uh, uh, capabilities all yeah, and all that. All Interesting. Yeah. Well, so, but it's still good news. So, and are we expecting to see kind of more of these come online as more and more? Yeah, of these, these were get these were two of the sort of leading contenders. They were definitely um, two of about four um, vaccine trials that were at the head of the pack. It's great that they're so effective. As we have discussed in the past, getting an effective vaccine and getting it to people in a significant number are two very different things. So there is a long ray between here and there. Um, and, you know, in the absence of any sort of federal leadership or any sort of federal organization in terms of distribution, I I hesitate to be too optimistic, but it means that we do have a solution. Um, <laughs> we just need to get to that solution without too many more of us dying from this thing. All right. <laughs> That's a good plan. Yeah. Not not too many more of us dying is, an, is a great plan. Well, you know, that's what I'm here for. What Have you got any more news for us? Uh, that's that, sort of the big pertinent positives. I mean, I've been upside down on night shift, so uh, I, I have emerged from my cave uh, just a little while ago. Well, thank you for emerging and coming here. Yeah. Um, well, let's go ahead and open up the phone lines. I uh, We have also emerged from our cave, which is our fundraising, fundraising cave. Uh, we had our flash drive, and we raised $103,000. $792 with 950 people donating, but that's kind of where our heads have been at too. So let's, why don't we just throw it open for listeners? I'm sure they have a lot of thoughts about this. It's been a big day for Mendocino County. So $103,000 and 950 people donating. Does that mean the average donor donated $1,000? You're, you're the math person. Um, it's, it's possible. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm just thrilled. I love to see that there's almost a thousand people who have who called That's in. That's great. Yeah. I know. It's it just shows you what what a community can do. Yeah. Um, and also, we've got a, a caller. You ready? Good afternoon, caller. You are live on the air. Hi. Um, this is Rose calling from Willits, and um, uh, it just struck me as kind of curious. Uh, concerning these temperature differences in these two promising vaccines. Uh, Dr. Drew quoted as contenders. I don't understand um, why we're not all in this together 
and why the technology isn't being shared, unless I'm missing something. So um, that's kind of a question, and I thank you as always. Yes, yeah, so, uh, that's a good question, and actually the the drug companies um, have... Uh, have released um, a fairly unprecedented amount of information around their vaccine trials. They've, they've released their protocols, which are usually proprietary, um, to allow greater transparency. They haven't released some of the nitty-gritties of how they have developed the vaccine because there's a lot of money on the on the line um and you know they they want to make profit uh pfizer did not take any money from this operation warp speed um at least not in advance they have a contract for uh, millions of vaccine doses um but they didn't take money in advance uh, to fund it, which means that they do not have a restriction in terms of how much they can charge. Uh, the ballpark is going to be around $20 uh, per vaccine, and both of these are two-shot um, vaccines. You need two, two vaccines about two weeks apart. Um, so not, not exactly prohibitive compared to other drug prices, certainly, but not small potatoes when you're talking about 330 million people needing two of them. Um, but that's, that's the reason why they haven't really worked together there's a there's a money race right and you know frankly a lot of these companies that develop a successful vaccine are going to make an obscene amount of money whether it's justified or not there's enough demand that most of the ones that get to market are going to you know sell out very quickly couldn't just be motivated by the need well i'm not going to be that pessimistic there's <laughs> Awesome. All right, let's take our next and call. I do need to uh, point out that my math was off by a zero. Oh, yeah. yeah. I d it just didn't sound oh, right. Okay. <laughs> we, our, our donor, our average donation was $109, not $1,000. Whole county full of really well off people. <laughs> All right, caller, you are live on the air. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I think my question's similar, but I didn't quite hear the answer because our, our reception's going out. But just to, but it, yeah. Um, they already got the, the $109 thing fixed. Um, but the um, that smaller company, couldn't the larger companies m manufacture their product en masse and just the smaller company, you know, the, the larger company? You know, what you're, color, you're breaking up, up a lot. I, I think if I take those word fragments and <laughs> reformulate it as a question, he may have been asking whether the smaller companies could piggyback onto the distribution system of the bigger companies. Um, the answer is yes. The more complex answer is even these big companies don't really have the distribution system networks in place. That has to occur through the federal government and state governments. State governments are you know doing a fairly good job of coming up with distribution systems. The CDC has released very rational guidelines as to who gets vaccines first, um, but the network still needs to be developed. We need to get this vaccine on planes and distributed everywhere. It has to be kept, you know, refrigerated. It needs to come with the needles and the syringes and everything else that you need to inject it into, and it's it's just a lot of logistics, um, and I frankly don't have a lot of confidence in our current federal government in pulling that together in a, in a smooth manner. Right, so, so that means the Biden administration is going to be behind because they're going to have to hit the ground running on in January 21st or whatever day the inauguration is. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, I forgot to give out the phone numbers. I've people seem so, to know it. I got so lazy here. I forgot there are people who haven't memorized it. So let <laughs> let me tell you, the, the live call-in number here in the studio is 
707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448. And we have our next call. Good hi. afternoon, caller. You're live hey. on the air. Yeah, hi. Uh, thank you for this program once again. Um, how do we know this vaccine is going to be safe? Well, I'll take my answer in the air. Sure. So that's a good question. And there's certainly a lot of um, anxiety around vaccines in this country. The Each of these vaccine trials um, have between 30 and 40,000 people in them right now. Um, and besides monitoring and testing for efficacy, which is to see whether it works to prevent COVID, uh, they are monitoring for side effects. And, and neither of these trials with you know, half of the uh, population in each trial getting the active vaccine uh, have shown any serious uh, side effects from the vaccine, which is very good. They do each have a fairly high degree of mild side effects, uh, which is to say kind of like the flu shot. You can be achy and have some fatigue and um, some soreness at the injection site for a day or two afterward. That's pretty common from the preliminary data. But serious side effects um, really haven't been seen yet. You know, the the problem is these are, even though thirty to 40,000 people is a lot, um, that's not enough to pick up the rare side effects. And, you know, no vaccine, and I say this as a huge proponent of vaccines, no vaccine is 100% absolutely safe. There will be a an occasional rare bad reaction from this vaccine. That's just, that's just going to happen, particularly if you're talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of people receiving the vaccine. But that um, that incidence, I suspect, is going to prove to be extremely low. I also heard that the trial uh, group was very diverse. Yeah, the the Moderna trial actually they slowed the enrollment. Um, back in September because they're getting so many people and they were able to slow the enrollment to make it more diverse, to make it more um, elderly and to include a higher percentage of people of color, um, which is which is great, um, particularly given the distribution that we're seeing um, of the, sort of the more serious effects uh, of COVID in this country. So they, they did make an effort there. It's not being tested on adolescents or children yet, but that's that's coming. All right, let's take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, thank you for the show. I have a quick question. My uh, grandma is 101 years old, lives in a nursing facility in Sacramento. She had tested positive for coronavirus about three weeks ago. She's kind of beat all the symptoms, but my mom talked to her yesterday to get an update, and she said her language and her verbal has been really slurred. Is that because she's been on CO or... I mean, they're, she's going to get tested again tomorrow for to see if she's positive again, but they're taking her out of quarantine, and I was just wondering if CO affects the mind like that where it would affect her communications. Um, Sure. I don't know. So, you know, at 101, it doesn't take much to uh, alter one's mental status. And, you know, it, it's great that she's doing as well as she is at that advanced age. And when you say CO, I, I presume you're referring to oxygen, not carbon monoxide. <laughs> so, um, I, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so, too. But uh, I, I, I imagine that if she um, got sick enough to require supplemental oxygen, which she is not taking chronically, that that would be sufficient to cause some cognitive disturbance. Yes. And additionally, we know that uh, COVID, um, acute illness with COVID, can have cognitive impacts, um, you know, sort of chronic 
chronically. Uh, we are learning that more and more so as the months roll on with this disease. In a 101-year-old, I imagine that probability goes up significantly. So I imagine if she is a bit more slowed or a bit more confused or speech is a bit more garbled than typical, then that reflects the long-term sequelae or the sort of intermediate-term sequelae of this illness. But if she's coming out of quarantine, that's great. You know, a repeat test is really not even necessary. It might be part of the nursing home protocol that she's in, but it's not necessary as to guide any clinical management. Okay, great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yep. All right, thanks for the call. This is the local coronavirus update here on KZYX with Dr. Drew Colfax. The number here in the studio for you to call in is 707-895-2448. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, good afternoon. I am curious how the how it works in terms of resistance. Like like you get you build up tolerance and you get resistance to drugs and I'm wondering if that concept applies to vaccines. Uh it doesn't, actually. You, you develop a tolerance to drugs, particularly pain medications or narcotics, uh, more specifically, uh, with repeat exposures because your receptors um, become saturated with that medication. Um, for vaccines, you don't develop a tolerance, and particularly in a vaccine such as this with a novel virus, uh, this is all going to be... Um, well, novel to our body's immune system. Um, and so that response is going to be um, robust is what we're learning from these vaccines coming down the pike. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, these vaccines are pretty... Uh, medically um, fascinating, actually, because they they induce our own body to make a protein fragment that mimics uh, the, the spiky uh, coronavirus uh, protein outer layer. Um, and then our own body develops an immune response to these fragments that we are making um, as being in, having been induced by this vaccine. So it's an interesting approach. It's one that had been talked about and explored for, for over a decade, but never actually utilized. Um, and, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing that this works, which is, which is extraordinarily good news. Um, it really is. I, I think we're all, frankly, quite weary of coronavirus. I know I am. I'm both weary and tired. Um, but but it's, it's really, really good news that these vaccines are working. Um, the alternative would have been pretty grim, frankly. It's just, you know, it's not a um, cure-all. We, we need to get between here and there, and that's going to be several more months of pretty hard times, I'm afraid. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, thanks for the call. Yeah, people keep saying that um, we are in this for the long haul and there's not going to be any significant change when the vaccine comes out. Why? <laughs> Why not? Well, there, there will be a, there'll be a huge change when the vaccine is administered to sufficiently high number of people. It's just that's still a little ways away. And, you know, being in it for a long haul doesn't mean that we should give up, right? We've been in this now for eight months. Uh, we probably have you know, another four to six months ahead of us before we get enough people vaccinated that we can start to go back to normal. But with this degree of efficacy in these vaccines, that actually means we will be getting back to normal. Um, you know, if we didn't have vaccines that worked well, we might be stuck with masks and social distancing and limited gatherings for quite some time, like as, indefinitely. In, as in years. Um, but now it's actually looking like we'll get there by late spring. We can breathe in the same room again. Yeah. All right. Nice, right. Something to look forward to. Yeah. Let's go ahead and take our next call. Good afternoon, caller. You're live on the air. 
Is that me? That is you. Thanks for holding. Oh, hi. Well, they're making masks now that uh, in the uh, UK, uh, in Cambridge, that uh, snap, uh, if that's the word, uh, you know, like, for example, a mask will filter and will trap the COVID bubble. But this one uh, is sprayed on the out. These are disposable surgical masks with a, a, a substance that completely kills the bubble, the COVID bubble, uh, the COVID COVID. So it's interesting that, you know, whether you want to wear a mask or don't want to wear a mask, there is something that you can wear over your nose and your mouth that will trap, that will completely eliminate. It won't. That's right. It won't. Um, it'll eliminate it from the get-go. It used to be, or the surgical masks, uh, they filter. That means that by the time, uh, you know, that COVID can't get to you because it has to go through different layers. It's like a like a ping. You know, it goes left, right, uh, bottom, top. Whereas this one, it won't even penetrate. The mask, and it's a surgical disposable mask. So uh, I'm repeating myself here, but, uh, you know, that something like that happens and you can wear so that it won't go into your nose and your mouth, that really uh, says something. Uh, I'm in the hospitality business. Um, uh, it's, uh, I'm in generations in hospitality business, and I see a lot of people coming to our county who are not social distancing and who are, but most of all, are not wearing masks. And um, uh, I think that that's a, a grave uh, mistake because they're, you know, we're telling them at the very beginning, at the entrance, you know, this county says to please wear masks, that masks are required. You know, there are signs outside of the parks that say masks required, and people are not wearing masks. Well, and- I, I, I agree with your, your point, caller. Um, and not only this county, the state actually requires masks, um, just to be clear. Uh, there are you know, about a dozen states that don't have any restrictions at all. Um, astonishingly, they happen to be states that have a fairly high surge right now. Uh, your point about the these impregnated masks, um, masks that have an antiviral um, substance incorporated into them is a good one. I, there's not a lot of data to show that they work more effectively than just an ordinary surgical masks. It does, however, reflect our evolving um controls that we are developing and there's additionally a medication uh, a nasal spray um, that has been proven or shown to work quite effectively in animal models to block uptake of the virus in the nasal passage which would be fantastic it would be a bridging technique until we get the vaccine Um, unfortunately i think they're a little bit further behind than the vaccine development so i'm not sure that that bridge will get here in time but it reflects sort of how far and how fast we're moving um, in medical developments, if not in um, social control developments. Um, you know, we're still getting very mixed messaging from the federal government in terms of how to respond to this, and that's going to be reflected even here in liberal Mendocino County. Sure. Well, um, I wonder about—thanks, caller. Thanks for that call. I wonder about spraying substances that you are that are close to your airways, 
like, are you breathing this stuff that kills a virus? Is it bad for you? I no, it's it's not. I mean, it's going to be something that neutralizes. And when she was talking about the bubble, what she what she was referring to was the aerosol and the droplets. I mean, no mask is actually trapping the virus. It's it's not possible to breathe through a viral filter. What masks oh. do um, is trap the aerosolized droplets, the aerosols or the droplets, the slightly larger um, particles that contain the virus. Um, and these masks work the same way, but then they are impregnated with something that neutralizes the spiky protein on the virus that's in these droplets and aerosols. So it's not like a pesticide? No. Okay. Good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take our last call. Good afternoon, Kali. You're live on the air. Thank you, and thank you, doctor, and all the nurses putting yourselves in harm's way to help uh, keep us healthy. I know I appreciate it. Um, I, I read about the dogs uh, just today, about uh, the, the correlation between dog ownership and uh, prevalence of coming down positive with it. Have you seen that, too? I, I actually haven't. I, I'd be interested in what you read and where. <laughs> uh, it had to do with if, if you have a dog and take it out into public, you are more likely to come down positive. Having a dog at home where you just stay and, and don't go off the ranch, that correlation doesn't exist. But it, it could be related to the dog coming in contact uh, with sources as it's running around, other people hugging it or whatever, uh, which, you know... Uh, Yeah, and the other part, uh, I don't know, just having a dog, it, it's good for people mentally, uh, you know. So th I think it's a, it's a very complicated uh, study. Uh, the one really dealt just with, with animals that go out in, into public. Um, and then coming across other people, you're out in public walking your dog, which is more hazardous behavior. Yeah, I, I kind of suspect that that might be the confounding variable in, in this trial. Having not read it or being familiar with it, I, I suspect that the risky um, behavior may be people who take their dogs out to dog parks are coming into contact with more people with COVID um, when compared to people who don't. Um, but I don't know. We certainly do know that pets can get COVID. Um, there is theoretical transmission from pets to humans. I think think that is so rare um, that it's really not worth spending a lot of anxiety about. But I, you know, I would certainly advise, um, not that we have a lot of dog parks in this county, but some. that we do have some, um, but, you know, advise, you know, the mask wearing and social distancing for the human owner um, if you're taking your dog to a dog park. Um, some dogs are just really cute and people want to pet them, but I figure, because I have, I have a puppy and it's like you take her out walking and people want to touch her and pet her and stuff, but I figure the leash is six feet, so if I stay at the end of the leash, it's... It's cool. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> We're all think So just, you know, put your put your dog under a UV light when you get home. Okay. <laughs> Give her a little wipe down with, yeah. Yeah. with some nasal all right. Thanks spray. for the show. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Carl. That's, that's an interesting uh, point that you raised. That's a, that's a disturbing point because I thought we're outside at six feet. We're fine. But if there's a study that shows that there is some transmission, even in, in that kind of a situation. Yeah. I, I, you know, we, we've seen these case reports sporadically. There have been some scientific tests that show that animals do get the virus and, you know, whether they can transmit it to their owners. It's certainly not a significant um, source of transmission. I'm not going to say it's impossible. Um, but one thing we've clearly learned in the last six to eight months is this virus doesn't really transmit from surfaces uh, very well. Um, and the surface may include the dog's hair if the dog is running around a dog park or being uh, pet by asymptomatic COVID positive people. 
All right. Well, I guess it's just time. Like you said, we have four to six months probably left to, to not die. So we will. And then and then we get the vaccine and hopefully life will go back to normal. We can go to concerts and have parties and, and things like that. But in the meantime, as we're looking forward to it, we'll just be extra, extra careful. So I won't let people crowd around my dog. And pet as them. cute as. Well, she's cute. She's very little, so but she won't be cute forever, so that'll be good. <laughs> People will leave us alone. Anyway, on that note, let's go ahead and, and finish up for today. It's been the local coronavirus update. I'm Alicia Bales in the studio with Dr. Drew Colfax, emergency room doctor from uh, Ukiah Hospital. Um, I have a little bit of business. First a programming note and then an underwriter. Uh, tonight at 6.30, Senator Mike McGuire, uh, California State Senator Mike McGuire, is going to host a special town hall on homelessness. This is a virtual town hall. And the county of Mendocino and the city of Ukiah will be co-hosting uh, this town hall meeting. It's going to be a community discussion on local efforts to address the homelessness crisis. Uh, and during the event, there'll be an overview of the Project Home Key program, discussion on potential management models and plans for the permanent housing project and types of services that will be offered with the program. So we're going to broadcast the live stream of the town hall on homelessness today it starts at 6 30 uh, and i think it's going to run about an hour hour and a half and we'll have that live for you here if you don't have access to the internet and can't can't see the live stream you can listen to the town hall on homelessness here we thought that was something that uh, would be good to bring uh, to you our listeners since homelessness is such a crisis here in mendocino county it'll be interesting to hear what the county is doing and how they're collaborating with the state so check that out tonight at 6 30. Also, support for KZYX comes from our members and Word of Mouth magazine, connecting visitors and locals alike to the local food culture of Mendocino County. So the spring issue is out now. Hmm. I think that must be the fall issue is out now and can be found at independent grocery stores, fine inns, hotels, and more. Subscribe, advertise, and discover what's happening in Mendocino County at wordofmouthmendo.com. Don't want to forget to thank our underwriters. All right, so you'll be back on Wednesday at 3. Live in the studio. Live in the studio with the phone lines open. Thanks, Drew. You've been listening to the local coronavirus update from KZYXNZ Mendocino County Public Broadcasting in Philo, California. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Mask Awareness Project of North Coast Opportunities. To hear this program live, tune in on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time to KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Williton Ukiah at 91.5 FM, and in Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. Or you can hear us anywhere at kzyx.org, where you can also find out how to donate or become a KZYX member. Thanks for listening.